Welcome to the Future Humans podcast with Gene Houston and Annalise Smitsman, the co-authors of the Future Humans Trilogy. Well, friends, hello there. Today we have the enormous pleasure of welcoming our dear friend Bruce Lipton, cell biologist, lecturer, internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. Uh, but he's also a great clown. Nobody ever really talks about that. He's, he's, he's this born, soul-born comedian. I, Bruce, you may know that I'm the daughter of a comedy writer. My daddy wrote the Bob Hope show, Burns and Hallett. So I grew up in that milieu. So I know one when I see one. And you are right there. I mean, my favorite book of yours is The Honeymoon Effect where you really are magnificently outlandish and telling it true how when we put together our conscious intentions with our God intentions, or rather the, when, when we meet our cosmic selves and she has the same intentions, oh, they kiss, they, they get married, and we live maybe not happily, but outrageously well together. I, I love, love that book. You also wrote that book that just took Biology by Storm, The Biology of Belief, uh, and co-authoring Steve Berman, book I've just reread, Spontaneous Evolution. God, do we need it now. We in it. We're not needed. We're, we're in it. Right we're in now. it. We're in Spontaneous Evolution. And that was going to be my first question to you. Oh. Yes. Do I have a first answer? How are we in Spontaneous Evolution right now? Well, all you have to do is uh, surf the web, watch the news, or, you know, just look out your window, and there's chaos in every country simultaneously of every different kind. Like, the whole world is shaking. And the reason why it's shaking is nobody's paying attention to what science talked about over 15 years ago. They said the way we are uh, messing with the web of life, the way we're undermining the web of life, we are, we've already precipitated what is called the sixth mass extinction of life on the planet, which by definition means there were five previous mass extinctions. And uh, what the mass extinction is, life is going beautifully on the planet, life is thriving, some cataclysmic event happens, and up to 90% of life disappears at these events. The last one was 66 million years ago when a comet hit near the Yucatan Peninsula. And it was such a big comet that it upended the whole web of life. And that's when we had dinosaurs. And after the comet is when we had no dinosaurs. 75% of life, including all the dinosaurs, disappeared at that event. Today, uh, and this is, I'm sorry, got a round circle to get to. Today, we're in the sixth mass extinction. The previous five natural events occurred. The last one was 66 million years ago. There weren't even people here. So, uh, uh, but this one is human behavior has precipitated this, which all of a sudden it says, well, if you don't want to go extinct, then human behavior has to change. Uh, And it's interesting because life is being threatened and people feel it. Uh, uh, And it's important part, Gene, that people don't talk about. There's something called the biological imperative. I go, what's that? I go, Every organism has a drive to survive. If any, even the most primitive organism, a bacteria, bacterium, if you try and kill the bacterium, 
It's not going to go, okay, kill me. It's going to try to do everything to stay alive. Every, every possible movement action to stay alive. But there's a point. There's a drive to survive biological imperative. And when life is threatened, this is so low. It's below consciousness, probably way below subconscious. It was here from bacteria. There's a, a, a thing, and biologists don't even know where to point where it is, but there's something built into every living organism that uh, prepares, you know, to keep it alive, keep it alive. And when we start to see the world starting to collapse, it's obviously because something's going on. It doesn't, we can't sustain ourselves. We are going to go extinct. People go, oh, is that a thousand years from now? I go, NASA scientists have recognized, and this was back about five years ago, that within the next few decades, civilization as we know it is facing, and I really want to underscore, an irreversible collapse which emphasizes you can't go back <laughs> now. We can only go forward now. So there's no like, let's go back and do the old days. I go, they weren't that good. That's why we're here today. <laughs> and, and we have to face up to the fact that human civilization has been living out of harmony, not just with nature, but more importantly with each other. I mean, the whole world is in a state of this kind of violent stuff. So we're not, you know, you could look at you say, oh, we got economic, social, political, racial, religious upheaval going on. I say they're all those, but they're like the trees that make a forest and the forest is called extinction. Uh, and so when we look at the world uh, and people are going, oh, I'm the one that's going, all right, <laughs> this is great. And they go, what do you mean? I go, we cannot build a sustainable civilization on the foundation of a civilization that's causing extinction. That's a simple fact. <laughs> We're causing it, you know, this is Einstein thing, you, you know, you can't solve the problems <laughs> that, that we're causing with the same behavior every time. So the only way is to change it. And then when I look, I say, yeah, you see it falling apart. And I go, this is nature's expression of the fact of what we would refer to as unsustainability. We can't live this way. And that the structure has to collapse to build a more sustainable structure. So we're in a transition period. Uh, uh, it's sort of like uh, the caterpillar goes into the cocoon as a caterpillar, comes out as a butterfly. I go, what the hell happened in there? And the answer was caterpillar civilization of cells breaking down, the cells then reforming into something called the butterfly. And so I say, our civilization is like caterpillar, voracious, Oh man, caterpillar's most voracious organism. And Sorry. with that, we've now ourselves in a cocoon saying, okay, it's a breakdown of the voracious civilization and the creation of the butterfly civilization because butterflies have the lightest touch on the planet. They hardly even touch it. Uh, and this is our learning if we get it, is to get out of the destructive version yeah. and move into the sustainable one. And here I am talking about that with Jean on the line, and she's been saying that many, 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 many years. And well, I was so, so honored to meet her. I don't know how many years ago now. And I God. said, this woman is a force of nature. And I, I, I just want to follow this woman because she, she's going to break the barrier down that I can move behind. I will take <laughs> you seriously and act in ways I never expected. I promise you. <laughs> but I want to ask you, you're talking about speciation also. You know, you look at the biological records on, on old stones and things. Same old, another hundred years, same old, same old. And suddenly this bug 
you know, acquires wings and multiple eyes and is speciated. Are we in a state of bringing out future latency now? What normally might be 10,000 years. Are we in a state of speciation? If so, where do you see the signs of the speciation of the profoundly new ways literally of being and doing? Occurring. Well, uh, the first thing is this, the, the structure is falling apart, you know, and, and things are happening on this planet that are events that are causing people to separate and also start to think about what are the problems we've had. So issues uh, that have been under the carpet for a long time, the Me Too generation, uh, Black Lives Matter generation, the green movement, all of this was underneath. But to evolve, they had to come up to the surface. So we can deal with these issues as we plan to move out. Uh, Buckminster Fuller was the smart guy who said, uh, you don't go in and challenge the civilization that's there. You go outside and you build a new one. Uh, and this is what we're trying to do right now. And so people that are pulling themselves out of the structure uh, and being some of them being forced out of the structure, like the COVID situation, I mean, look, if I just got to the bottom line, what's our evolution? The evolution is not a physiological change that we're gonna look any different than what we are. It's the evolution of consciousness. Uh, but we always just think evolution, like Darwinian thing was oh, more genes, more genes, more development like that. And it turns out after the genome project, human have the same number of genes as the smallest little worm with 1,250 cells, 20,000 genes. And it's like, well then obviously, the number of genes is not a reflection of evolution. I go, no, if you look at the evolutionary tree from the primitive to the more advanced, there is one common thread and that is uh, neurological development and going from a reactive reflexive organism to a creator organism was an advancement of evolutionary understanding of the nervous system. Well, we got the nervous system. Does that mean I'm gonna get another nervous system? And I go, no. We're going to wake up and use it <laughs> the way it was intended uh, because it was taken away from us by people seeking power. Uh, and I said, well, interesting point. Look at, oh, we got very powerful people in the world. I said, where, where did they get all the power? And, uh, and the joke is they didn't get any more power. They just took away our power. So when we look at them, they look very powerful because we feel personally programmed to be powerless when that was a plan and it's in process. Uh, and, and the plan about this uh, is recognized 400 years ago when the Jesuits, and they said this for 400 years and everybody went, mm, that's nice. I say, no, you didn't understand what the hell they were saying. And the saying was this, give me a child and until it is seven and I will show you the man. What they recognized before anybody else was, Whatever program a child gets in the first seven years, that program will manifest as the rest of their life. And then all of a sudden the idea was, well, if we control the program, we control the rest of their lives. And that's all of a sudden why Catholic schools showed up. Let's give them a program. <laughs> and the idea was ever since then, the programs have taken us away from, from our own power, disempowering mm -hmm. us. Uh, and, and boy, in a time uh, like now, we have to let go of that old program. That's a change in consciousness. I say, yes, that's exactly what evolution is based on. We have to let go of being programmed for a couple of thousand years <laughs> to be powerless and own what quantum physics, 
the most valid science on this planet in regard to understanding the mechanisms of the universe. Principle number one, consciousness is creating our life experience. I say, oh, then I go, how's that working out? <laughs> I go, well, the consciousness around here is not really supporting our vitality, is it? So a change in consciousness is the foundation of the evolution. And you've been talking about that, Gene, for so many years. And, and I'm so glad because you were strong enough not to give up in the beginning when challenges abound and people, you know, were not really trying to listen to what you had to say. And thank God you were a woman of force and means to say, I'm not backing down, I'm making my truth. And thank God for you and helping us get to that truth. Thank you. So I'd love to build on this, uh, Bruce, if I may. <laughs> Jean, I said, okay, you wanted to say something? No, I was going to say another person who has been building on the truth is our co-host, Annalise Smitsman, and has a lot of very interesting things to tell you about where we're going or where she feels we're going and how we can get there. And Luz? <laughs> Thank you, Jean. And yes, I agree with Bruce. I am so glad, Jean, that you kept at it, <laughs> pushing civilization forward to, a, to that next evolutionary step. So just want to, um, to build on what you said, Bruce, because there's so many beautiful wisdoms and treasures that you've just given us here. So the first one is that if we don't take our evolutionary step as a species, then we're out of here. <laughs> yeah, we, we're causing not just our own extinction, but also the extinction for the life conditions of so many other species. So this is wake up time. And time is short. It's not like we have hundreds of years uh, <laughs> to start to reflect on this. Now, now is the time to get the, to get the urgency. Now, the other thing in terms of evolutionary species development is, of course, what we're also seeing is if a species doesn't take its next evolutionary jump, if it doesn't cohere to higher levels of complexity, another program starts to activate, and I like to call that self-destruct. So in many ways, we could also see that a lot of the self-destructive species uh, behavior of, of humanity that we are seeing all over the world, increase of violence, random shootings, all these divisions, polarization, we are not uh, coherent. You mentioned something very interesting about the nervous system and the neurological pathways. So perhaps let's explore now, really, if we're looking at what's that consciousness and the evolutionary pattern of this butterfly consciousness, the, the, the human butterflies, uh, that, that higher level of complexity, but especially this planetary consciousness, so that we're no longer just operating from this egoic state of, this is just my nervous system, <laughs> but we are starting to truly be able to tap into this collective consciousness potentials in ways we've never done, but in ways that are at the moment, I think, technologically getting exploited. Now that's for Regina and I, we've been exploring this through the future humans saying, hold on, this, this potential of our next evolutionary step, and just as you're saying, it's not coming out of here, it's not coming from this consciousness, that is already within us right now, just like this imaginal potential of this beautiful butterfly consciousness is already present within the caterpillar being. So if we are now understanding that, that future potential of this next evolutionary step is here right now, we can access it, we can activate it, we can engage it. 
And how are you seeing the emergence of these new evolutionary patternings that are in many ways the good news story <laughs> uh, among all of that that is collapsing and falling away? Well, I'm just excited by the fact that, look, as I mentioned, there's something called the biological imperative. And the imperative yes. is the drive to survive that we have in our gut feeling, not so much in our consciousness, but in our gut feeling that things are out of order. Uh, they're not working right. Every day, it's like, it's like, it's on edge. It's not, it's not working right. I go, this is, this is the talk that you're, you know, that our cells, 50 trillion cells are trying to wake us up saying, look, you're under threat <laughs> and you have to do something. Uh, and, and there's two things that you, there's two options to the threat. One is growth. What can we do to go beyond and grow into this? The other response to the threat is protection, which is close yourself down, wall yourself off. And I go, when you wall yourself off, you have disconnected from the community of life. And, and the fear of that, it, it, you know, it's like the scary thing. I'm protecting myself. It, uh, it, it's, it, it's so deep that our behavior wants to hide because it's like, uh oh, it's threatening. I go, well, then you're not engaging anymore. You're disconnecting from the whole system because protection is put yourself in a spore capsule <laughs> and wait for the conditions to get better. I go, well, that's, that's not going to help. The ones that are going to help are say, what can I do to get back in harmony with the planet? Uh, uh, and one of the most important things is we have to let go of some fundamental beliefs that have been programmed into us that act as like filters of how we respond to life. And if these beliefs are not in harmony with life, then, then we're living in a cloudy vision of what's going on. One of, I'll, I'll give you a couple of them, okay? Number one is the belief that genes control who we are. Now I say, why is that significant here? And I go, well, program people and tell them that their life is already predetermined in their genes. And I say, what did you just program? You programmed to be victims, why? Well, the genes turn on and off by themselves. I didn't pick them as far as I know, and I can't change them, and they control me. And all of a sudden, it said, well, then your life is not under your control. It's under the control of the DNA genes, which means I'm disempowered, which means I'm a victim, which means I'm going to seek mastery from somebody else because it's not coming from me. And I say, what does a victim do? They'll buy anybody's story who's going yeah. to help them get out of being a victim. Today, the pharmaceutical company is provider of most of those stories. Oh, you got a problem? We got a pill. And I go, so this is a big issue is that um, we, we've been programmed to be powerless. But then I say, well, wait, in contrast, um, epigenetics, the new science says, no, genes don't turn on and off by themselves. Genes are controlled by our conscious and our subconscious minds. And these genes, I can alter the behavior of any gene. Uh, a lot of people think, oh my God, cancer genes are all over the place. I say, there's not, this is a fact. There's not one gene that causes cancer. There's no gene that if you have this gene, you get cancer. And a lot of women go, well, what about the breast cancer gene? Because that scares the hell out of a lot of women. And I go, well, here's a fact. Only 50% of the women with the breast cancer gene get the cancer. The more important question is how come the other 50% didn't get the cancer? And all of a sudden you see, it's not the possession of the gene. Both of them have the gene. The ones that get the cancer are not living in harmony with the world and with themselves. 
and they're causing a problem. The ones that don't get the cancer are having a much healthier, harmonious lifestyle. So the gene doesn't cause the cancer, but in a you know, uh, in a problem in, in the way we're living, uh, we can create a situation where a gene can become cancerous. 90% uh, of cancer has no linkage to the family. Just somebody just got cancer. Where the hell did that come from? And the answer is consciousness is creating this. Epigenetics is creating this. It tells you you can cure cancer if you change your mind, not change it. Don't kill the cancer cells. They're not the problem. They're the result of a problem. Everybody wants to kill the cancer cells, everything's better. I say, the cancer didn't come from the gene, it came from lifestyle. You wanna get rid of the cancer, you, you change the lifestyle, you don't kill the cancer cells, they're, they're not the problem. Uh, and, and so I said, well, what have we been programmed with? The program is diseases affect us and we are victims. And as victims, we're powerless and as powerless people, we will pay anybody, any amount of money that will get us out of the problem. My brother had hepatitis C. And all of a sudden they come up with, we have a drug, we have a drug to help you. And it's like, well, let's see, my choices are I could just uh, die with my hepatitis C or I can get the drug. It's like, okay, I'll get the drug. And then my brother finds out, well, it's only a $1,000 a pill. I go, oh, I go, and you need 100 pills for the prescription. And I go, I'm a victim, I will pay them $100,000 to help me with my hep C. I go, okay, somebody's getting ripped off here big time. And the one that really irritates me, just because I'm on a soapbox for this moment, is that some children are born with a myoneural dysfunction and these kids will die at a very early age, you know, a couple of years or so. And uh, uh, and then this company has created a, a treatment for it. And so now a woman has just given birth to this baby and she finds out the baby's only gonna live through a couple of years. And then the drug guy comes in and goes, we can save your baby. I go, Ooh. It'll cost you $1,500,000. That is the prescription. I say, holy crap, you're holding a gun to this woman's head and you're, you're suing her for a, a, over a million dollars to save this child that she just gave birth to? You are, I was gonna say bad word, bad criminals. <laughs> and yet we bought it because we don't trust ourselves. And the evolution is everything is controlled by epigenetics and epigenetics is controlled by consciousness. And we can change all these things, but if you're programmed to believe that, no, you can't, then you have no ability. And that's what's happened to us. <laughs> We've been, you know, uh, broken in a sense of our, uh, you know, inability to deal with our lives according to the belief. And I say, yeah, but that's a belief. Uh, and this is why things are changing right now. The beliefs that we've held, uh, there's a renaissance in science, new beliefs new insights, consciousness, evolution, all of this stuff is coming now from a deeper science, which for years, you couldn't mention the word spirit in a science lab. I, I worked in a lab for years that no one could say the word spirit. That was taboo. You know, it's like now finally quantum physics is saying, yeah, field, energy field. Oh, that's the same as spirit. And all of a sudden it's like, 
Oh, spirits returning in the form of quantum physics. And that spirit returning and the idea of epigenetics, both of them speak to the original principle of quantum physics that the mind is creating all this. And epigenetics is the result of the mind. And, and all of a sudden we have been disempowered because of belief systems. Uh, just before we got on this call, I was trying to make a slide with um, Dante's Inferno. <laughs> and I was bringing that to the forefront because I say, people, when humans are the only organism that has any awareness of its own mortality. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is the idea of death was like, wow, what happens at death? And then someone comes up the idea with, well, there's a hell and you could go burn here for the rest of your lives. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and now they're programmed, why? Because of the fear of death. When quantum physics is revealing, there's no such thing as death. An energy field never disappears. You're an energy field. Uh, and the idea is, but the fear is what took away our power. And we've been so disempowered across this world right now that the leadership is not representing the people, it's representing interests beyond the people, such as oh, oil industry, pharmaceutical industry, the gun industry. I go, Jesus, they're running the show. And I go, yep. Uh, and this is why we have a problem right now. I keep talking a lot, don't I, Gene? May I be quiet and then we can say something. You know, you're saying you're saying deep and true things. And of course, everybody watching is saying, what can I do? What is the way through? You know, I was reminded of the opening lines of Dante's Inferno. Let's see if I can remember it in Italian. Media nostra, in the middle of my life. In mid-years, I found myself in a dark forest. And it was in the dark forest that I agreed to be a valiant carrier of a newer life. That's not quite what he said, but if I was Dante, that's how I would have added it in Italian. Um, now, you are a valiant carrier of the new life. What in your life, apart from giving extraordinary uh, unfoldments of the depths of your mind and feeling, what are you doing that others can be doing to change the story? Because we're in the middle of a changing story, which could very easily slap back to the old story. That's, maybe exactly. the problem, That's the problem. That is yeah. the problem. We're facing a juncture we've been at before, yeah. and, and we didn't learn. And the juncture was separating spirituality from materiality. Mm -hmm. There was a line. And Native American people, for example, lived on the perfect balance. Everything that was material was spiritual. <laughs> but through civilization, we took the spirit out of things. So polytheism took it out of the individual things and put gods to represent it. Then monotheism put all of it into one god and took the god off the planet. And therefore, at one point, we weren't even honored to be on the planet. This was our workshop where we're <laughs> identifying whether we're worthy enough to go to where that place of heaven is. So all of a sudden, there are all these rules and things came in to, to avoid what? Avoid Dante's Inferno. Uh, what do I need to do? <laughs> and all of a sudden, we're paying some organization 10% of our money just because they're going to tell us how we should do what we need to do. And not, you know, and, and then but the spirit came down again, Protestantism, all of a sudden started to say, well, wait, the material world wasn't so bad. 
because uh, monotheism took up here, say, no, material world bad, spiritual world good. <laughs> Protestantism came back and said, well, material world's not so bad, <laughs> and started to bring the material back in because it said, if God loves you, you get material things. Okay, so fine. And then we came back to the midline again. So look, we started with natives at the balance point, matter and spirit, balance. We then went to polytheism, taking spirit out of things, making gods. Then we went to monotheism, no spirit at all in anything, and God doesn't even live here. Then Protestantism came, and now the circle is coming back because it said, material's not so bad. And then it hit the midline, and it came back to the balance point. I said, whoa, when did we hit the balance point? And the answer was the founding of the United States. <laughs> the founding of the United States was based on what? Native Americans. That's why they were all involved with the Constitution and the Declaration and everything, you know? And the Declaration of Independence talks about nature and God is <laughs> coming together here. That's called deism, balance. We came right back to the midline. And then we sunk below the midline and went into the material realm, Darwin's theory, then genes at the bottom say, no, you're nothing more than some genes, material. And then quantum physics came in and now we're, guess what? We're moving back to the midline because spirituality is returning in the form of physics. And I go, then what happened? I say, we get to the midline. And then I said, guess what? Now the struggle is what? Between the spiritualists and the materialists are back to fighting each other where we are right now. And the point is, well, we have a choice. You wanna go back and pick one of those sides? You know, you wanna be on this side or that side or the choice is, We've learned both sides. We don't have to play both sides against each other anymore. There is no uh, polarity in this next level. And if we can get to that level, then we are getting toward the, the real reason of being on earth. And if I you know, had a whole bunch of hours, I would conclude with this very simple statement. It says, you don't die and go to heaven. You were born <laughs> into heaven. What do you mean? I go, this is a place of creation. This is a place you came to create. I said, but you look at the world right now. I go, I wouldn't want to create this. I go, yeah, but you were programmed to create that. And if you get out of the program, it returns to heaven on earth. And I used to tell, I went, in the very beginning, when I understood the scientific mechanism, I was so excited. It's like, oh my God, if you understand this, you could create the most beautiful life. So I gathered a bunch of people together and I tried to tell them the principles of this science of epigenetics and physics and creativity. And they looked at me and they went, you know, Lipton, for a guy who says you know this stuff, your life doesn't look that good. And all of a sudden I realized something. I was talking the talk, but I sure as hell wasn't walking the talk. I just had it as a consciousness. This is the way it all should be. And I go, yeah, but if I don't change my behavior, I'm still living in the same old stupid world. And it was a wake up call that said, you can talk about all this consciousness you want. You can talk about all the principles of how to create it, but if you're not doing it, it's irrelevant. And I say, we're coming into a time where the consciousness has been here, but now it's time to engage the consciousness as a way of life. And I think, Gene, this is uh, your, your mission. It was you were way ahead to understand what we needed to do and try to bring the people to the table and say, now is the time we have to start walking this stuff. And that is the way out. Uh, and that's happening right now.
Yeah, and so in some ways we could say that the very conditions that we have created as a species that could be driving towards collapse are also the very challenges that are inviting us to evolve, namely that we have to collaborate and coordinate uh, with each other in ways that we've never done, and of course also to co-create in ways that we've never done. And that you cannot do that with a dualistic mindset. So no. in the very nature of the kind of collaboration, co-creation that is required now uh, and co-learning as well and listening together and sensing into what is happening and what our options are, that very nature of the very challenge that is in there also engages then the very um, future consciousness that we've been talking about yeah, of this butterfly species. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that the leadership of this world, whoever they are, and it's probably not presidents of anybody, <laughs> the leadership of this world is quite aware of a major fact. And I go, what is it? The system is failing. They know it's failing. As I said, NASA has recognized within the next couple of decades, the whole thing is going to collapse. And one of the big issues is economic uh, issues that are facing the world. Uh, uh, and, and I go, what's the significance of that? And well, it's like, the leadership knows what happens if one day you wake up and you go to the ATM machine and it won't give you any more money. What if it happened all around the world? All of a sudden, there was no more money, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, the chaos would be. Um, it would destroy things. So the powers to be say, "Let's control the chaos." <laughs> the leadership is afraid because they know the structure they've created is going to collapse. Uh, and First, so, can can you tell me another story? Let's just turn the page. Yeah, because I'm here, babes. I'm living the other story. Uh, and you're and living the, yeah, clearly you're living the other story. But you know, it was interesting when my old friend Marianne Williamson was running for yes. president. I said, Marianne, for God's sakes, don't go preaching at people. Stop that. Give them the new story. If you want to be president, be president of the new story, the yes. world that's existing in consciousness, co-incidental co with ourselves. Now, fellow, I know that you contain that new story. I want to know, not just what you know scientifically. I mean, you've just yourself on all the kosher levels, yes? But beyond those kosher levels, the meta-kosher is reality as it yearns to be reality yes. as it yearns to be. Can you tell me the story of the world? What does it look like? First, as the presentation, and then you and I will sit down and write a book about how we got there. Go for yeah. it. Well, I'm living in paradise. <laughs> the world around me is uh, uh, like a tornado. And where am I? I'm in the eye of this storm. And I say, what's in the eye of the storm? Calm, quiet, and peace. And I live there and I say, how long have I been living? I go, well, ever since I told you, I stopped talking to people about the idea of creating heaven on earth when I wasn't doing it. And I said, I've got to practice it. I not just talk about it. It's irrelevant. I can talk until I'm blown in the face. It doesn't change a damn thing. And I realized I'm not living the idea. And I started to recognize, number one, the fear of death disappears. If it, people go, oh, I'm so spiritual. And I go, yeah, but you're going to be afraid of death because you're still not sure at that moment. Is that a story or is that real or where am I going? Hell, heaven or anything like that. Uh, and I go, well, uh, if you are not afraid of death, meaning what? 
when you understand from the physics, our identity is not in here. Our identity is received by us. This is a, a device, a robot controlled device with a broadcast coming in, which is my identity and spirit. It's an energy field, quantum physics, but my cells pick up an energy field. And all of a sudden I started to recognize, oh my goodness, I am programming myself to other people's fears and things like that. And I thought, well, if I, my belief is the fear, then I'm going to live in the fear. And then I'm going to create a whole life and behavior to respond to a fear, which I'm going to actually manifest because what I expect is going to happen to me. Uh, and the idea was stop Lipton, recover your life, take it back and recognize why are we here? And the first thing was this, it was funny because I didn't believe in spirituality. You know, I was a science guy. Oh, it's genes and proteins, blah, 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 blah. And then when I understood what the cell was trying to tell me, I started to realize, oh my God, uh, I'm a spiritual field of awareness playing through a device. And then if the device breaks, the field is still here. And so the field is immortal. The bodies come and go. Uh, uh, and then I started to think about it. I said, but then why have a body? Why not be, a, you know, just a spirit? Why have a body? And we could be just a spirit that goes on forever and ever. And I asked that question to myself. And as a scientist, of course, I was curious as why not just be the spirit? And that's when I found I had Jewish comedian cells because I asked a question, why have a spirit and a body? And the cells responded with a question. I said, well, I have both. And the cells said to me, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh my God, huh. this is a device. It translates the field. Vision is an energy, but it's turned into pictures. Uh, smell is a vibration, but it's, it's got an aroma and a taste and hearing is a vibration. And uh, all of a sudden I said, oh my God, this device translates the environment into sensation. And all of a sudden I said, oh my God, we came here because intellectually you want to talk about love? I could write uh, paragraphs and paragraphs about love. But I said, do you ever touch love? Do you ever experience love? I go, if you haven't, the intellectual discussion is useless. If you know what love is, it's a physiology. It's a, a chemistry that's translated into vibration of feeling. And that vibration of feeling is going back to source. So as I come to this planet, not only do I move myself around, but I also take my experiences and send them back to source. I came here for the damn experiences. And then what we find out, we shut down our experiences in fear. We close them down through programming. You know, we lose our sensitivity. And I'm really sorry because there's a great difference between men and women on this sensitivity issue. And people mm -hmm. don't understand why. And I can give you why. The answer is they already knew the first seven years was programming. Their life will be controlled. They also knew this. If you want to make a soldier, they can't be sensitive. Sensitive, they won't shoot anybody. And so the idea was what? Men are programmed in childhood not to be sensitive. I remember they used to hit you and- Well, I, to... I, I'm a mother of two boys and I actually have found that boys can be sometimes more sensitive even than girls. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, but but that's programming of an, a conscious person for their conscious children 
This is not from unconscious people training unconscious parents. Uh, unconscious parents have no idea what the hell we're talking about anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, and the reality is men lost their, me, that's what I found out when I said, well, I have a yeah. body and a spirit and a, you know, the body was sensitive. So, so I just want to come back, come back, because we're, we're, we're working on shifting the, the story, right? Okay, let's so, shift the story. So I, I want to, we're on a living experiment now. So you were talking about the body as a device. Some people could be reading that or hearing that very mechanistically to thinking, oh, but isn't that yet another dualism? You, you mentioned quantum physics. So what we're seeing from quantum physics and informational sciences is actually that uh, materiality is yet another expression of consciousness. So it's not consciousness versus materiality, materiality. Yeah, you could almost call this. It's, it's, a, consciousness idea, right? yeah. it's a consciousness that put materiality into perspective. Yeah, it's not everything. So, so the then, world, then it's not the a device. Then it's it's then, then the body is not a device. <laughs> well, I, I personally I see it as a device to give me the opportunity to create. I came here as a creator. We all came here as creators. This but is isn't that still a dualism? Is. Then isn't there still a form of a dualism as between nope. you and the body, nope. rather than the body as a, as a, also a physical expression no, of? I'm a spiritual entity as a unity. Yeah. I'm just a spiritual entity. I can use this body to create and sense. That's what it's about. So when I came to Earth, we came to Earth. We came as creators and sensory mechanisms to respond to the creation. That's why we got here. But then our consciousness was shifted in programming and we lost the mission statement of why we are here. Even though quantum physics is principle number one, we came here to create <laughs> uh, uh, and we lost it because for 400 years, the, the leadership has known that I can program you uh, and, uh, and we've all been programmed and we lost who we are. And the wake up call is who are we? And then the first thing is, we are spiritual entities playing through this device, which is the most beautiful thing. What does chocolate taste like? If you don't have a biological system to translate chocolate into vibration, you have no idea what chocolate tastes like. And so this is a translator machine. It translates the world into sensations. That's why I said, why have a, a, a body when we're spiritual? And I say, because the body offers sensation in this world. I could be spiritual without a body. I can do all that. But then I say, but I can't taste chocolate. No way. Let me, let me just ask a question vis-a-vis -vis bodies, sensations, and translations. Yes. When I was five years old, I was put into a, uh, I was in Brooklyn, New York into a Catholic school. And um, I used to shock the nuns by asking interesting questions. Uh, but the, the, the most interesting question got me into trouble. Sister Teresa, did Jesus ever have to go to the bathroom? That did it. The class <laughs> who got hysterical. And Sister Teresa screamed at me. And she lisped very badly, blasphemy, blasphemy. Sacrilish and blush for me. And I, I wasn't, I didn't feel awful because I knew that my future had arrived. And years later, when I was able to, I trained tens of thousands of nuns, many of whom were on the way out, you know, on appreciating the body because I knew it had something to do with that. 
and all kinds of Feldenkrais exercises and such that would give them back their body sense and through that, their mind sense. Now, you know, that, that was, you know, 1943 in, in Brooklyn. But the fact is that these bevies of nuns then went out and became head of hospitals and went out and changed the story, the sacrality, the glory, the juiciness of the body and the body-mind. So that's what I did at five. But what I am interested in now is the changing of the story in such a way that you have presented the full canon of the shock and you're the genius of shock. It's not just Jewish jokes, it's the shock, you know, which is what Jewish jokes are. Are you Jewish, by the way? Yes. Oh, was I, well, let's put it this way. I was programmed. You were programmed to be Jewish, yeah. Now, it was funny because I, I gave a lecture in, in Tel Aviv and it was really a, a very critical yeah. lecture because it talks about how programming creates the character of our lives. And mm -hmm. I showed them, after giving them the science of epigenetics, how consciousness adjusts the genes, which then adjusts the fetus, Okay, then I said, here's the problem. And it was interesting because uh, this was in Tel Aviv. We bust in 300 Palestinians from the West Bank that have never even been in Israel, never crossed the line to get there. Yeah. And we brought them into this big auditorium. And so we had Israelis and we had uh, a, like oil and water over here where a lot of the Palestinians yeah. separated from the Israelis over here. And I'm giving them the story of developmental programming where that child uh, that the whole story of the Jesuits give me the seven years program I said here's your problem uh, and I get I got to this point so they're really getting into the idea yes um, a child is programmed for seven years and then the rest of their life is based on that and I go here's the problem and I show a slide and on one half of the slide are Israeli kids playing with machine guns. The other half of the slide are Palestinian kids dressed in military uniforms with wooden guns. I said, this is your problem. You are transmitting this for generation after generation to create the hostilities. These kids don't even know each other. <laughs> and you're programming them now to fight each other. And th this is not acceptable because this you've caused now a division. And I said, there's a solution. And that solution in the next slide showed uh, an Israeli and a Palestinian boy walking down the street, arm over each shoulder, uh, you know, walking down the street. And the other one was to uh, uh, a Palestinian young girl and, a Pal and an Israeli young girl uh, playing and being together. And I said, that's the solution. And, and you could have heard a pin drop in that room because it finally hit them for one moment, they said, oh my God, we have been propagating war for a couple of centuries by the belief of separation, programming them to be separated and then manifesting separation. I go, you created this. Uh, and there was a wonderful the couple, Ihab and Ora. She's uh, Israeli, he's Palestinian. They met walking across the Sinai desert. They didn't even know each other. They were just there for different reasons. They came within a 12, 15 feet. They came within just 12 feet or so of each other. They looked at each other and the proverbial thunderbolt hit them. They fell in love. They haven't even talked to each other, just saw each other, felt it. Three days later, they got married. <laughs> the only problem was they had to go home. 
And when uh, Ehab went and told his father that he just married an Israeli, his father chased him around the house with a knife. It was a traitor uh, from the Palestinians to marry an Israeli. She went and told her parents that she married a Palestinian. They separated her from the family. Uh, and it was like, oh my God. And I said, well, what happened? And here's the beautiful resolution. They have a boy, a child, and they decided, where should we send this child to school for development? So they went to the Palestinian school and they heard, you know, no nope, <laughs> violence against the other side. They went to the Israeli school, nope, violence against the other side. They went to the Christian school, violence against both sides. <laughs> At some point, they said, we can't send our kid to school. And so they created something called the Garden of Abraham. It was a school for young kids, nursery school and older. Are you and creating schools? What's that? Are you creating schools? You would be the optimal <laughs> teacher to create schools for children now because they are being poisoned by the muchness of the, uh, of the phoniness of it all and the wrongness. Absolutely. But the beautiful part then is this school, the Garden of Abraham, brought Palestinian and Israeli kids yeah, I know about the same it. school. Yeah, brought everybody together. Yeah. And guess what? They grew up liking and loving each other. They learned okay. each other's languages and cultures, and they loved each other. There was no way in hell these kids are going to grow up and fight each other. Never. Never. And, and that is a resolution that this whole separation business is what yeah. runs the machine. If it's separation, then there's money to be separated and money to be separated, and the machine loves oh, that. How, how old are you now? You're in your 70s somewhere now, right? Don't you? 77. 77. So let's say you've got 15 good years. Is that all? I was thinking for a lot more, Gene. Come on, babe. No, 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 no. 15 minimally, probably okay, more than like 35. <laughs> thank okay. you. What do you, given where you are in space and time, what you've learned, your immense amounts of experience in inner and outer worlds, what do you want to do with this next love? This I next just want to continue going out there to awaken people, show them some light, give them some positive aspects about the creative nature that they have, that to show them that the, their their programs are conflicting with their conscious spirit to, you know that's a whole different direction spirit has a whole different direction spirit you know what there's a simple thing when we wrote spontaneous evolution i always loved it because it goes a garden is not a battleground a garden is the height of cooperation mm -hmm. and i go we came from a garden turned it into a battleground because we're not cooperating with the garden or with each other and it's a destruction and the garden is disappearing. So it's a simple point. You want a garden? Well, the only way you can do that is to live in harmony. And this is the message so, of harmony. Your, your life is one of being the, uh, the student of the wake up call from Central. I am the happiest of students because this was yeah. not my life for 45, 50 years. I had a whole different life. And once this came in, it's like, that's why the book, The Honeymoon Effect came out. Oh, I never even believed in love. I thought that was fictionalization. But when I understood the nature of it and understood how I was misprogrammed mm -hmm. for relationships by observing my mother and father as, as models and I downloaded how a relationship <laughs> works, uh, yeah. that they were dysfunctional. No wonder I, I couldn't get a relationship off the ground because I was pre-programmed for pre seven years. Uh, well, Annalus, Annalus, you have raised your children not to be pre-programmed. 
So yeah. they're, they're wonderful spirits and sprites. How did you do that? Well, you, you help them to become architects. <laughs> so they, they yeah, they're, they've been very fast. Even when they got into gaming, for example, they weren't interested in playing the game that they saw on their computers. They were interested in the code of the game and how to change the code so they could create their own game, <laughs> invite our little friends into that one and then start recoding it. So they were much more had the consciousness state. Um, and, and that is something that was natural for them as coders, as architects, um, as innovators, as inventors, then rather than to, to living, living that out, you know, programs that were provided with them. So I was just encouraging that always, exploring with them, uh, asking the questions, what if and how could we do it and, and explain it to me and, and, and bring me into that world. So they started to trust their own, yeah, their own freedom of, um, and their own creative power. Well, that's the resolution. You're the parent that I've been talking about that could be versus the parents that are, that the parents that could be create the energy, create the system for the child to take that and carry it into the future. That people have misunderstood the role of mothering so much that it's become such a mechanical thing. Oh yeah, just give it to some kid, to somebody else that raised it. And I go, you don't, you don't understand. When you're raising a child, you're changing civilization. Yes. It starts with the child. And we have been disempowering them for generations and generations and and the point is we want to make a change and and was you you are the parent that makes a change their reflection of their life is a reflection of your your being a mother that didn't happen by accident to them so owned this a very important part well there my children are going i go yeah but you were the you know the fundamental vision for these kids to make a world and, and if we knew that uh, and give more empowerment to women because they've been so disempowered, if they're disempowered, what the hell are they going to do with their kids? Raise powerful kids when they're disempowered? It's not going to happen. And so there's this whole change. And that's part of the Me Too generation. Wake up and recognize how important for the future of civilization. Mothering is one of the most important things in the world. Uh, uh, you know, and it's like... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name all of a sudden just dropped out of me. Uh, uh, he was head of child health and human development. Uh, Prescott, James Prescott, uh, junior. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he revealed right from the beginning how violence stems from the first years of programming. <laughs> uh, uh, and that uh, this is where the parents are involved. And if the parents aren't supporting peace, then, then the, the violence is a consequence of that. Uh, and that's a recognized fact. So it's like, well, or what are we doing about it? And it's like, we're making more uh, fake mother's milk, which is an abomination to human development because evolution created mother's milk as the most powerful nutrient in developing a child. It has the most powerful lipids, which are for brain development because the brain develops the, almost a mature size in the first few years. And the and, nurturing relationship. And, and, I, I breastfed both my children for two years, you know, and it's just that, so wonderful and co-sleeping with them, the bonding <laughs> that you develop. Well, that, that's it. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, that's what makes them a member of a community and a family. They the bonding is what makes it. And if the bonding is not very good, the community and the family falls apart. That's a simple fact of life. It's, it's mathematical, <laughs> you know, put in love and, and, and understanding into this child, they grow up to express love and understanding. 
put fear into this child and then and the rest of it is they live in fear. And this is the, the issue. I always revert to poetry. And I think it speaks directly to who and what you are. And it goes, the human heart can go to the lengths of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries, cracks, breaks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the flood, the flow, the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now, when wrong comes up to meet us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul folk ever took. Affairs are now soul-sized. The enterprise is exploration into God. What are we making for? It takes so many thousand years to wake. But shall we wake for pity's sake? Knowing you, dear friend, you are one of the great leaders of the, the new awakening. I'm dear so honored to be with both of you. Thank you so very much for letting me talk some fun stuff. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>